And welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. All right. Well, Shani, we have a story that we were just telling Will about from last yeah. night. So <laughs> we went for drinks. Yeah, we went for drinks. Mm-hmm. And should we say where we went? No, maybe we should just say it's somewhere we've been wanting to go for a very long time and could never get a booking, but it was what a Wednesday night very early we were able to walk in and they gave us a table yeah so I think we need a little background to the story Mm -hmm. so they said to us do you want to sit at the bar or do you want to sit at a table Mm -hmm. and we said we want a table and they said just be aware that at 6 30 which I think was a little over an hour at 6 30 there is a booking here and you have to move and we're like yeah that's totally cool Mm -hmm. so it's approaching 6 30 and we had finished our drinks and the waiter comes up and he goes, you have time for another round, mm-hmm. but like not time before 630, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. It was about to be 630. So we said, sure, because who's going to turn down another round? Exactly. <laughs> Especially us. I know. So he brings us, he brings us these drinks and then I finish my drink. Yeah. But then out of nowhere, he throws the bill on the table, grabs and takes your my drink martini. and walks away. <laughs> And Shawnee claims, and I did not look at her drink, but that your drink was full. Yeah, I had only had a couple of sips. So I went up and complained about this. And then they brought you back a drink that had like a, a tiny, tiny bit, bit in, in it. it. So Shawnee thinks that either this was someone else's mostly finished martini. Which I drank anyway. Because- I know you drank it. I know you drank it. Or that there was some sort of, I don't know conspiracy that he like poured out most of your drink yeah. and brought it. he did not seem to like us he did not because yeah. then the manager was like going back and forth between us and him mm-hmm. like you know getting both sides of the story yeah anyway i drank the half drunk martini whether it was mine or someone else's but yeah yeah so you know that was exciting the other thing is we didn't mention this this happened back in may but we had a listener who i went out to lunch with yeah they offered to take you out for lunch because you keep asking if someone will take you I know. And I know. They offered. Yeah, so. no, it was very nice. Abode. Yeah. We you... went to we went to Ume Burger, mm-hmm. one of Shawnee's favorites. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, no, it was great. So Mark was searching for the date on his laptop of when this happened and he searched for Ume Burger and it was like thirteen emails from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> talking exactly. about Ume Burger. And what did we have for dinner last night? We had burgers at the Gidley. Exactly. So. And more martinis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Should we get on with this? Let's do this. All right. So it's share month. We're into our third episode, which is not actually a month, but four consecutive episodes. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into a hotly requested share, Fortescue. So Fortescue is the world's fourth largest iron ore exporter. And iron ore is clearly a key part of the Australian economy. So naturally, there's a lot of attention on this company. So just like when we talked about Tesla, Fortescue has a high-profile name attached to the company, and that is Andrew Twiggy Forrest. So he's a billionaire businessman and philanthropist who is the former CEO and the current chairman, and he's best known for his corporate role, but he's also known for his philanthropic efforts. So that includes indigenous issues, slavery and human trafficking, and the environment, and he has a strong interest in ocean conservation. But this podcast isn't about Twiggy, it's about Fortescue. So let's take a little bit more, uh, let's take a look into how significant iron ore is to the Australian economy. 
So in a speech in 2019, former CEO of Fortescue, Elizabeth Gaines, said that Australia's resource sector is a powerhouse of the economy. And at 3% of the GDP, the iron ore sector directly contributes 68 cents to the economy per dollar of output, with a further 17%, 17 cents per dollar indirectly flowing through strong linkages to other industries. So you're saying this is an important contributor yeah. to the Australian economy. <laughs> okay. So I think we can all agree on that. But of course, that does not translate necessarily into a strong business. So Fortescue is competing, obviously, against some real industry leaders, BHP and Rio Tinto. But one thing that jumps out when we look at Fortescue is that their margins are well below those competitors. And we'll come back and we'll talk about moat. But this is one of the primary drivers of why the business was not awarded a moat. So their lower margins are primarily resulting from discounts from mining a lower grade product compared with the benchmark. So just for a little context, the benchmark is 62% grade of the iron ore, of course, and Fortescue is sitting at 57 to 58%. So does that grade really matter? Why are they being penalized? The grade does matter. The lower grade is effectively a cost for customers, and this results in a lower realized price versus the benchmark. Did you just you just asked yourself a question and answered it, and then answered it? Yeah. Wow. Should I just? I could leave? do this on my own. Yeah. I know. Should I just leave? <laughs> no, that's right. But the price is is not obviously proportionate to the difference in a grade. So it's not a five percent discount, as you might think, for Fortescue's inferior iron ore. In the five years ending in June of 2021, the company sold iron ore at a 27% discount compared with what competitors were getting paid for their 62% grade iron ore. And that's a pretty significant discount for a few percentage points in grade. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. I, I obviously don't understand all of this stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't really have experience in purchasing iron ore. I've never actually purchased iron ore, Shawnee. But regardless of this disadvantage with lower quality iron ore, Fortescue has still managed to grow rapidly. And this has been due to one, very highly favorable iron ore prices, and also aggressive management and historically low corporate interest rates. That's right, Mark. So let's add some context to this growth, which by many accounts is unprecedented. In fiscal 2012, they had a capacity of 55 million tonnes. By 2015, only three years later, they had 165 million tonnes of capacity. And Fortescue has built two-thirds of its capacity at the peak of the capital cycle, and that's baked in a higher capital base than their peers. Okay, so now I'm going to try to explain this, Mm -hmm. since, you know, that's very complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what this means is that their returns are likely to lag those of other industry leaders like BHP and Rio who benefit at building capacity at times where the capital cost per unit of output was much lower. So put that in plain English. Fortescue is a much younger company than BHP and Rio. It was founded in 2003, which was after the iron ore boom had already started. So as an industry, the mining business is very capital intensive. So once you found iron ore, or really anything that you mine, you need to develop the mine, which takes large capital expenditures. So basically, you need to pay a lot of money to do that. And that shows up as an asset on your balance sheet and then gets depreciated. So that depreciation is an expense against earnings. So as a new company, with all of their capital expenditures happening fairly recently, you have large depreciation expenses and more of those capital expenditures on the balance sheet. So with more capital on the balance sheet, that means lower returns on capital. That was a lot. 
It, it was a lot. It was a lot. But I tried to explain it in plain English, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just a bit of financial statement fun, Shani. Okay. Uh, but it's not all an uphill battle. Fortescue has done a pretty good job at reducing cash costs materially versus peers, although the product discounts just don't allow them to compete. Here's a light at the end of the tunnel. The company is going to add about 22 million tonnes a year of iron ore production from Ironbridge. And Ironbridge is a joint venture that Fortescue owns 69% of. The grades at this mine are much better quality. They're around 67%. So it means that Fortescue blends this iron ore with its existing iron ore, and it'll lift the quality of their reserves above 60%, making their reserves much more attractive to buyers. Yeah. And who doesn't want to blend, right? <laughs> so a blended iron ore. So what are investors buying when they purchase Fortescue? So seeing as basically all of the company's iron ore is sold to China, it's very much a China fixed asset investment play. So when our analyst looks at the long term, he sees demand for steel in China declining. What has been happening in China for almost a generation has been this mass shift in population from rural areas into cities, and we call this urbanization. And to support that, there's obviously lots of construction. Construction means steel. Steel means iron ore. And at this point, we've actually moved past peak urbanization, which is a pretty funny phrase, and that is going to start to impact demand for iron ore. And this is one of the reasons that the company is pivoting. Their strategy is to transform into a diversified iron ore and clean energy company, very much on trend. Its green energy initiatives are at an early stage, but they do have big ambitions. We've spoken previously about the capital allocation decisions that a company can make, but in short, there are three. It's a CEO's job to allocate capital in the most efficient way to create value for shareholders. And he or she can do that by strengthening the balance sheet, investing in the business, or shareholder distributions. And in the case of Fortescue, they are directing some of their profits to investing in those initiatives to future-proof their business. So they've committed to investing 10% of net profits into clean energy. So that's at a high level, where they are and where they're going. Let's take a look at the strength of the company and their ability to protect earnings and keep competitors at bay. Of course, we're talking about moats. And as we said before, we did not give Fortescue a moat. We do not award Fortescue a moat. Our analyst, Shani and I are not in charge of <laughs> awarding moats. Yeah. Um, that bar we just we, talk about him. That bar we went to last night does not have a competitive <laughs> advantage because they steal customers' drinks. Although I will say that Will was saying he loves the place. He does. He's been there a few times. Yeah, but because we're not naming it, yes, Will's endorsement doesn't actually count. No. <laughs> um, so anyway, we do not award Fortescue a moat, and that is because the quality of their iron ore is, of course, a competitive disadvantage, which is the opposite of a moat. So as we said earlier, the Iron Bridge mine is an exception. But there is a caveat with the Iron Bridge mine, which also detracts from the case for a moat. The iron ore that is mined at Iron Bridge is a particular type of deposit that needs more processing to get the valuable ore out. So it needs to be crushed into smaller particles, which allows this iron ore to be separated from waste. And this is important to mention because this extra processing means that operating costs are, of course, quite a bit higher. So it's a bit of a trade-off. Good quality iron ore, which will sell at a higher price, but requires more expense to extract it. And adding to this, Fortescue is a price taker because it is a commodity producer. That means that they sell their products at the price at which commodities are trading, and they do not set the price themselves. So to maintain excess returns, there must be a significant buffer to their operating costs. 
They need low-cost mines with long lives and efficient capital management to ensure that they have a longer-term excess returns that are needed for an economic moat. Unfortunately, because of the quality and the extra processing required for that iron ore, they just can't get there as it stands, especially as their profits are concentrated and based on the fate of one country, China. But what we can say is that Fortescue isn't just hanging by a thin string. Although they do not seem ideally positioned, they have some protection from very high iron ore prices. That is because iron ore prices are in excess of what is required for iron ore producers to have a high return on invested capital. And remember, we want a higher return on invested capital than a weighted average cost of capital. So at least in that case, with iron ore prices, they are in pretty good shape. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. Okay, so no real moat for Fortescue itself. Let's turn towards risk. Are there any risks that could puncture holes in the future success of the company? Well, the key risk we already talked about a little bit, and that, of course, is China. So being tied to China is a key risk to any cash flow for Fortescue. So a slowdown in Chinese construction will, of course, have consequences on steel demand, which will have consequences on iron ore demand and ultimately the iron ore price. Our analysts also see another risk as the expansion of low-cost iron ore supply. In 2019, there was the Vale Tailings Dam disaster in Brazil. This impacted the output and supply of low-cost iron ore. Now, there's been a recovery in the output since then, and in the longer term, it's likely that there'll be new iron ore mines in Africa that are also low-cost. We need to remember here that Fortescue's cash margins are lower than the low-cost industry majors, so it will be impacted the most if iron ore prices fall materially. And we've seen this play out before. So during the GFC, we saw demand for steel decline rapidly, and it impacted iron ore prices. So we just have to be wary about Fortescue's prospects now that we see total consumption shrinking in the future. But we do think that Fortescue has foreseen this risk and prepared for it. So they paid down debt to reduce their financial risk, which we think is wise in this situation, where it's likely their margins will decrease in the future with lower prices. And of course, what everyone wants to know is the risk that ESG plays on miners. In our analyst's opinion, Fortescue is exposed to several low probability ESG risks, which we don't think are material. Okay, so we've gone through some of the key drivers here, right, for Fortescue. There's iron ore price, there's operating leverage, and there's capital intensity which is how much Fortescue has in the way of fixed or real capital. But in terms of ESG, where we see risk is downstream emissions from iron ore production. So the customers of Fortescue using their iron ore for steelmaking. If a carbon price or tax is implemented on the customer's use of iron ore, 
It could mean that Fortescue is at a competitive disadvantage because their lower grade iron ore requires a larger quantity to create the same amount of steel, which therefore results in higher emissions in the steelmaking process. You know, we've learned in these last two ones, we've gotten into the details about how to make steel mm. and iron ore and yeah. different grades and stuff like that. And of course, last week, we learned about cows, genetically <laughs> testing cows and separating the herds and, yeah, making milk where there's no proven benefit that it's better for you. Yeah, exactly. So you're learning a lot here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Um, the other important thing to note about ESG is that Fortescue, of course, is concentrated in China. There's community opposition to practices, labor strikes, or disputes. They could have major problems. We focus quite a lot on where it could go wrong, but let's focus on where Fortescue has gone right. Fortescue is very self-aware. They're aware of the challenges that they face with concentration, with the substandard product comparative to what's on the market, and the precarious situation that they have with their cash margins. They have been prudent with their capital allocation, for which we assign a standard capital allocation rating. Yeah, and so while they've benefited from these higher, uh, higher iron ore prices, they've also focused on debt repayment, which we mentioned, and cost reductions, and that has resulted in a sound balance sheet. The firm has started to focus more and more on dividends. Our analysts think this is appropriate and in shareholders' best interests, given that we see future prospects are less favorable than what they had in the recent past. They just have to be careful not to rock the boat too much by branching out and trying for a Hail Mary by taking on risk, either through rapid expansion or acquisitions. We've mentioned investments in green technology, and it's important to say that these are an early stage. But we do need to continue to monitor that to ensure that there are promising prospects for this venture. And it's not just crafting a compelling narrative that attracts investors and playing lip service to pacify ESG-minded investors and shareholders. The company also rapidly expanded during the boom peaks, which was driven by Andrew Twiggy Forrest's enthusiasm. Coupled with the low-grade iron ore products, Fortescue has to deal with permanent cost disadvantage comparative to other competitors. Okay, so let's move on to what we've all been waiting for. Hopefully, people have been waiting for what is it worth? So we've tended to cover companies that are on our global best ideas list. So those are companies that we think are undervalued and that may be an opportunity for investors. Forescue, of course, is a little bit different. We believe that the market has overestimated the future prospects of Forescue. So our analysts think it is valued at fourteen dollars and fifty cents. And that is a 53% premium to where it's trading at this morning, June 16th, 2022, which is $20.36. And this is where we really talk about the difference between value and price, because the price of the stock doesn't always reflect its value. It's easy to figure out the price of almost anything. This is the central tenet of the modern economy, price discoverability. And price discoverability really means that in order to encourage the sale of your goods and services, the price must be widely known. So when we look at Fortescue, it's priced at $20.36. This is what the market has determined is the price for the stock. And obviously, this price will fluctuate. As people trade shares, the price will move up and down. And these fluctuations are based mostly on short-term market noise. Ultimately, though, these trades are happening not just on some ticker you see in your brokerage account or on Google. Trades are people exchanging shares. And those shares represent an underlying business, a business that could not fluctuate in value as much as the share price does. So when we look at Fortescue, our analysts have determined that the value is $14.50, and that's based on their projections for the performance and value of the underlying business. And this value is based on how much cash the company will generate in the future, taking into account the predictability of those future cash flows. 
And we went through some of the risks that create some unpredictability with Fortescue. And for that, their uncertainty rating has been determined to be high. And currently it's a two-star stock, but to become a five-star stock, which represents our cheapest shares, it must drop to $8.70. And that, of course, is a very big drop. Yeah, that's right. It is a pretty big drop. But as uncertainty decreases, the degree at which the stock is discounted lessens for it to become a five-star stock. So let's go through an example. Woolworths is currently a one-star stock trading at $34.60 and a fair value of $25. For it to become a five-star stock, it only needs to reach $20 because there is relatively low uncertainty about the future of Woolies. And with Fortescue, we just don't know Fortescue's fate because there are several variables that are uncertain, such as demand for iron ore, especially substandard iron ore. And we don't know how certain China's demand will be or the speed at which that demand will slow. We don't know whether ESG considerations such as carbon price will hurt demand because of the inefficiency of low-quality iron ore. And with Woolies, we know that people need groceries. We know that they have more than one location, more than one customer, and not many competitors at the same scale and power as them. It is much easier for analysts to predict future cash flows and be more confident about the fate of Woolies comparative to Fortescue. And we mentioned before that there were a few drivers of the fair value of Fortescue, but the iron ore price is the primary driver. And although it's not the most riveting topic, we need to talk a little bit about the price of iron ore because it's fundamental to the fair value we've awarded Fortescue. So our analysts assume iron ore averages $120 US per ton from 2022 to 2024. However, from 2026, we see the mid-cycle iron ore price at $60 US per ton. Diving a little deeper, there is a cyclicality in the demand for commodities as economic growth drives consumption and in turn prices. This feeds cyclicality on the supply side as high prices drive exploration and increased production. While demand is mainly driven by changes in economic growth, there are structural factors that also impact demand. And one of these factors is the massive increase in steel production in China over the past two decades as it's invested in real estate and infrastructure, which has dramatically increased the demand for iron ore, as we discussed. Contributing to the current dynamic is the fact that many commodities have seen limited investment in new supply since the bottom of the last bust in 2015-2016. So in thinking about supply, keep in mind that all commodities, including iron ore, are a depleting resource. The only way to replenish reserves and continue business is by finding new deposits. And this is when we need to talk a little bit about capital allocation decisions because they've contributed to the lack of new supply in iron ore. So we saw reckless expansion of iron ore companies back in the late 2000s to the early 2010s. The widespread anger from shareholders at the time have led to a preference for returning cash to shareholders via dividends. And in the near term, Morningstar sees iron ore prices staying elevated due to the increase in economic growth from COVID-induced lows and supply issues. However, commodities are cyclical, and we think capitalism will ultimately do what it always does. New supply will come, or substitutes will be found to reduce demand. So we expect prices will return to our mid-cycle estimates by 2026. So all in all, I think a bit of a mixed bag. So we've got uncertainty, we've got what we predict is lower iron ore prices, and we expect a pullback in demand. So as it stands, we do not believe that Fortescue represents an opportunity at its current price. It is important to always keep in mind that as investors, we are purchasing companies, stocks for their future cash flows and not what they have achieved in the past. We think that the market has mispriced its future cash flows. We can't really speak for the whole market. 
It could be projecting the strong iron ore prices out into the future, but our estimates are much more conservative. Or, of course, it may be a bit more optimistic. The market may be a bit more optimistic about the risks that we foresee. And this, of course, is baked into the price, which we think exceeds fair value. So, Shani, we've done it. Mm-hmm. That's our third episode. We've got one more left. In, in share month. In share month. Which is not a month. Yeah, just four consecutive episodes. Exactly. Well, anyway, Shani is off to Tasmania. Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. So she's excited about that. Shani mm-hmm. doesn't do well in the cold, so this should be quite an adventure. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much for joining us. We, of course, would love any questions, comments in your podcast app. Also, my email is in the show notes. And we're still looking for questions for our question and answer podcast mm-hmm. that we are planning to put out in sort of mid-July. Yeah. So please send through those questions. And remember, you can leave us a voicemail, which will make Shawnee very happy. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.